runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 235 with guest Jeff Citron, recorded Tuesday, August 23rd, 2011. Run As Radio is produced each week by Quap Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. With me is always Greg Hughes. Well, not always. You've been a busy boy lately. Yeah, always, sometimes. Always, most of the time. Sometimes, always. You've been building out some security infrastructure. Yeah, well, that and a whole bunch of other things. I wish it was always, but uh, right now it's sometimes. (laughs) It is what it is, as they say in the economy world. I'm not complaining. How have you been? I've been working my brains out, but I'm not complaining. You know, there's all interesting stuff going on, without a doubt. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, definitely in my world. It's very interesting, and a lot of long hours, a lot of work for a long time, but um, worth it in the end. I hope. I'm sure it will be. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and more and more, of my customers are talking cloud, cloud, cloud. So today's conversation is going to be particularly interesting because we've got Jeff Citron with us today. He's the founder and president of Nomia Incorporated, which operates. Thoughtbus.com, a growing email and collaboration cloud services provider for small to mid-sized organizations throughout the U.S. Thoughtbus was established to provide customer organizations with exceptional hosted email and collaboration capabilities in the Microsoft environment while also delivering industry-leading customer service. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, so this is an interesting picture. Thoughtbus, obviously, you're in the hosted provider space, although you call it cloud services? Right. I mean, if you think about it... Uh it, it really is, uh, from the perspective of customer organizations, it, it's really uh, uh, part of the overall cloud services uh, world. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, we're just um, you know, providing uh, a higher value add than, say, just uh, uh, cloud-based servers, that kind of thing. If business will come down to as soon as the gear is off-premise, we could probably just wrap it with the word cloud? Yep, sure. <laughs> or more or less, it is, it's either on premise or it's outside of the premise here. It gets it just gets confusing because you also have companies that focus on uh, we are your off premise service providers. Well, off premise isn't always cloud, is it? Yeah, that's I guess that's the question I'm asking. I mean, it's because I want to host servers off premise. Isn't there an element of cloud that means that there's some kind of a shared computing environment? Exactly, at, least at some level. Yes, yes, that's that's a key a key aspect of it. Shared and off-premise would, would be cloud in my mind. But is it, yeah, it's not visibly shared either. No, like, is, no it's not. Virtualization has made all this so, you know, you can never tell what's running on what hardware anymore anyway. That's true. It certainly is. Uh, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for uh, slicing and dicing the uh, the computing workloads these days. Yeah, as long as you're running sufficiently, you know, whether you're inside of one gigantic box or broken across many little ones, it's it doesn't really make any difference. But folks like, you know, there's still a big organization out there that's pretty keen on on premise. And if you're working with small businesses, I got to think that small business server from Microsoft is, uh, you know, a competitor, really. The folks are, why wouldn't I just own this in my own machine, in my own place, and I don't have to deal with anything else? Sure. I mean, certainly small business server is, is an appropriate solution for some customer organizations. Uh, it all depends on the, the amount of effort they want to put into maintaining the uh, the server infrastructure. 
uh, versus how, how much uh, capability they really need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we take care of a lot of stuff that that small business server doesn't include in the box uh, and, and uh, have a lot of flexibility and support that you don't get just by buying the uh, small business server. But, uh, you know, certainly there's going to be some organizations where that's, that's the most appropriate option. Is it a cash flow thing? I mean, obviously, when you buy a small business server, they've got to buy some hardware. There's a bunch of money up front. Right. You're going to buy hardware. You're going to buy software. If you're, if you're that size business, you may not have the IT professionals on staff, so you might need to go with uh, consultants to implement and maintain the, uh, the infrastructure. Right. So the, the costs start to add up. I think it's the skill set that's the hardest one. The, the, it's just hard to find sufficient people, especially when it's not your business. You know, it yeah. always comes down to, especially yeah. in small organizations, it's a guy. <laughs> and he goes on vacation sometimes. Sure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And- <laughs> or he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's quote-unquote on vacation. <laughs> Yeah, doing but, remote tech support from Hawaii. That's right. Beach. Is BlackBerry <laughs> still on? One way or the other. Yeah. So for small and medium sized businesses, where is the value really recognized? I mean, what do you have some some concrete examples of that you see repeating where you know the businesses that you guys deal with are really seeing tangible value? Well, it's like it's something uh, something you can put numbers to. We certainly do have right on the on the website. If if you go to uh, thoughtbus.com, we do have some uh, numbers up up there um, to describe the savings you'll get using Thoughtbus versus an in-house uh, approach. Um, and so, yeah, there's certainly just you know just raw hardware and software costs um, to some degree. Um, some of the value that we that we really provide is is I mean we provide the, the uh, a very compelling uh, set of Microsoft products as a service and we also provide the the uh the help and support that uh, customer organizations want um so when they when they place the phone call it, they don't have to work their way through three levels of technical support at some very large company in order to get things resolved uh so we've got the uh the value there i believe uh for our customer organizations is that they feel they can trust us to be there to support their services and we also provide them with the flexibility. So if there is something they need to do that's a little bit off the beaten path, we're we're happy to talk to them about that as well. I'm thinking Whereas with a larger service provider is not going to, you know, with their cookie cutter operations, they're not going to be able to uh, to do that kind of thing. So you feel like you you've moved you're focusing on this niche of smaller personalized service models. Uh, it's well, our our. Customers range anywhere from you know five to ten users up to eight hundred mm-hmm. users in the in a single or organization. So it isn't it isn't just um, you know the smallest organizations that that can really benefit from this kind of a service. Um, it's it's a pretty wide it's a pretty wide range sure. where it, it can make sense depending on their on their circumstances and their requirements. There's you know their technical requirements for email and collaboration services. Yeah, you know, I think email is sort of the product here that this seems to work in every model. You can go small business server, run your own exchange server out of a closet in your office, or you can go to a to a provider like Thoughtbus. And then there's the the big bear in the room, which is Office 365. Sure, I guess yep, that's it, certainly there. <laughs> it, but I think in some ways, I'm working with some really large organizations, five thousand, ten thousand mailboxes, and they seem to need 
the external services the least because they can afford and it makes sense to have right. full-time exchange people. Absolutely. Yeah. Once you get above probably, you know, 800 to 1,000 users, I think in, in-house is, is definitely in most cases the way to go. Mm-hmm. Where do you, well, how do you feel about Office 365? I mean, it's relatively new. It, it just had a nasty outage when we run <laughs> right. not long from when we recorded this. Well, it's you know that's that's certainly one of the, uh, the the gotchas when you when you get you know super large systems, you get some uh, degrees of complexity, and and it, it can be hard to be a hundred percent confident that they're not going to be those kinds of outages. So it's um, you know that's certainly an issue for for some of the. The, the very large service providers. Um, you know, we have been operating our, our infrastructure since early 2004 and providing, you know, high quality uh, service and with very little downtime. Um, and we've provided a smooth migration path for our customers from Exchange 2003 back then to Exchange 2007 to Exchange 2010 and mm-hmm. SharePoint team services to Windows SharePoint services to SharePoint Foundation 2010 and pretty soon SharePoint Server 2010 standard. So, you know, we're really geared toward um, uh, really providing our customers with uh, the, the best service for them. We're not geared toward growth at any cost. We're geared toward <laughs> providing, uh, making it so our customers can succeed. And we've, we've certainly had a number of customer organizations who've grown from two or two to three person operations to, you know, several hundred uh, people in the organization. And then it's pretty neat when that happens. Absolutely. And you know, this, the, the downtime game is a dangerous game to play because uh, <laughs> I mean, the issue with, with office 365 is anything that goes down is very, very public. True. When we actually looked at those numbers compared to internal numbers for, for, uh, reliability, they were still more reliable. Although one of the things I'm discovering often is, a lot of companies don't even know when they're down. They don't have good exactly. record keeping around their downtime. True. Right. Yep. Who wants to keep yep. track of that, right? <laughs> well, yeah, we certainly do keep track of that ourselves because it's, 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 you know, part of our, our guarantee. And, you know, we'll start refunding money when, when, when there's a substantial amount, any, any, sure. uh, you know, substantial amount of downtime. Right. But I, I, I do believe though that you'll find over time, I mean, you know, look at, look at some of the Amazon outages as, as they start to get, very, very large, you know, some mm-hmm. of the, uh, some of the Google apps outages, you know, as, as those systems get extremely complex, I, I think you start to see more of these oops kinds of scenarios where, where they have some, some, uh, substantial downtime. Yeah. I'm wrestling with that. I think we're going to have to collect more numbers long term to see if that, if they, you know, at the same time we talk about these big enterprise customers that are saying, well, they're more reliable, more comfortable. They've got all the skilled people. You, you can't tell me the guys running the data centers from Microsoft aren't some of the most skilled out there. No, they're, they're very good. It, it's just a question of, yeah, are they actually a level of complexity that makes a difference? Or is it just that when they have the same kind of oops that everybody else has, it just hits so many people, it's a big deal? Right, right. Well, certainly, I mean, some of the things I've been reading about the, the Amazon outages, it seems like they've been having some, some pretty substantial issues, two pretty darn substantial issues um, that uh, are worse than anything we, we've ever had, you know, in the history of operating sure. our, our service. But they, and the, the Amazon, you know, EC2 is a different creature as well. I mean, it's one thing to do a commodity product like email. It's another thing to be hosting virtual machines of custom applications like that's a very I don't know if you're even in that business. Do you do you ever deal with that? Uh no, we we don't. We we look at that as more of a commoditized business actually. 
it's just in terms of reliability and complexity that now you're putting an awful lot of onus on you get into that battle between the service provider and the customer where the the site's down and the customer says the service provider and the service provider is like uh, you know the machines are running your app has failed right and in the, or in the case of Amazon they were just having problems getting to the machines but they right. were just sitting there running yeah bad networking <laughs> issues which is yeah yep. And and people looking at the wrong instrumentation, you know, the oh, I can see the 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 drive lights blinking. It must be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep, certainly monitoring is is a, is a very important thing. Every, I mean, as, as you know, you got to monitor everything that you want to keep track of. So it's uh, it's very important to keep that updated. What are some of the biggest pain points you that you as an organization have had to work through uh, in terms of putting together and delivering a shared service model? Are there are there lessons that other people might be able to learn from? Well, uh, it's, you know, so things have gone pretty well, actually, so far. Um, and uh, like I said, we started this back in 2004. Probably the, the, the biggest lesson I, I've learned is, is in terms of uh, uh, disk subsystems, you know, don't make substantial changes to disk subsystems once they're in production. Because <laughs> they can, that can really cause yeah. some issues. Uh, you know, the only uh, substantial downtime we had was was uh, as a result of that, and that was back in 2005. But uh, the, the subsystems have evolved since then. But I still, I still hold to that rule. Um, yeah, I feel like that generally. With if, once I have running infrastructure, if we're going to make upgrades and improvements, I build something new. I leave yeah. the old infrastructure alone. We migrate off of that, and then perhaps repurpose it. Yeah. I don't. I don't like touching running gear. It never goes well. <laughs> we we do okay with you know memory upgrades and CPU upgrades, but uh, as far as uh, you know, SANS and and large disk system upgrades, uh, that that's uh, something I wouldn't uh, wouldn't recommend. Although the SANS actually have the drives mounted in caddies, you're supposed to be able to add new ones. Well, sure, you can add drives. I'm talking about enclosures, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about switching out switching out enclosures wholesale, for example, right? Yeah, or adding adding more enclosures to your sand or, or your uh, or your desk. Oh, what could go wrong? <laughs> Changing the core it should fabric, work. Yeah, yeah. shit is a, yeah. It's nothing like it. It's nothing like a drive's backbone failure to ruin your day. <laughs> yep, yeah. redundancy all over the place. That'll take you out. Thanks for playing. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not big on opening machines. Once I've got them up in production, I'll build new machines. Yeah, and we'll, we'll go from there. That's a good approach. Well, it's always somebody else's money, isn't it? <laughs> this section of Run As Radio is sponsored by Secret Server, the password management software for IT admins. Secret Server helps you manage local admin passwords and service accounts the right way. Get your free 30-day trial for Secret Server at runasradio.com slash secret server. So I'm seeing this service providing breaking down into sort of two cans. You've got the the true uh, software as a service model, the emails, and I'd like to talk about some of the other products out there. And then you've got the more platformy type services or infrastructure services that are the VMs and so on. Are there other products you think are now essentially a commodity product like email that you can just buy it? It works. I mean, obviously there's Salesforce, but that seems like a one-off. Well, Salesforce isn't, isn't you know, just the only better out there. Of course, you know, there's, there is CRM 2011 that's, right. that's available and, uh, we're actually going to start offering that over the next, uh, several weeks as well. Um, then that can provide you with, with a lot of capabilities, uh, um, beyond, even beyond what you can do with Salesforce to some degree. 
certainly in, in managing your uh, uh, help desk and as well as your sales folks. So, yeah, CRM is now in that place as well, that we could buy CRM. Where do you put SharePoint in this equation? Well, SharePoint offers customer organizations a lot of a lot of capabilities. It's like the Swiss Army knife. Mm. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been offering that for uh, about six years at this point. Um, it, it's, it's something that every, every customer organization uses differently. We have some customers using uh, it a lot for document management. We have other customers that are doing some uh, just basic business process automation. Using SharePoint, just using custom lists, it, it, it's very straightforward to do some very basic business process automation. Automation um, using that that capability, um, and of course, SharePoint has a lot of, of of add-ins available, and so that's an area where you know we can work with our customers as well if they need a particular uh, a particular add-in for SharePoint. We can we can uh, verify that it's going to play nicely in the shared environment um, from a technical and licensing perspective, and uh, Sometimes we're able to um, make those capabilities available. Sure, and of course, the problem with the Swiss Army knife is you never know which blade you actually need, right? <laughs> I, uh, I I see lots of folks using SharePoint quite successfully for document management, but that to me seems like something that needs to be in house rather hmm. than uh, in a shared service, just from a bandwidth perspective. Well, that, that's true to some degree, but now with uh, uh, SharePoint Workspace. Um, you can you can cache up to ten thousand documents mm-hmm. locally on on your on your PCs um, while you're working with a, a cloud based uh, SharePoint environment. Okay, I'm not sure if I really want to cache ten thousand documents <laughs> on my PC, <laughs> but it is an interesting number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's up. Uh, it was a they were only letting you do I believe it was eighteen hundred prior to uh, right. Office two thousand ten SP one, but now they're uh, you're going up to ten thousand before. It, before it uh, stops working. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you, and if you're over that number, what are you doing? Well, after that, it just downloads them on an as-needed basis. It right. Just won't, it just won't keep them locally cached. It does make sense to me that if there's a document you're routinely working on, that that just stays in a local cache and is synced with the service back uh, at uh, the data center. Right, right, when you actually make an update. Yeah, and if there's 10,000 documents that you're routinely working on, then you should probably ask your boss to hire somebody to help you. I'd like to do the math to see how long it takes to open 10,000 documents. <laughs> yeah. burn, burn your whole week just opening and closing files. I'm sure there's a use case for that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> just not a good one. I just can't think of it. That's yeah. all. <laughs> the, other, the other side of SharePoint, and, and I think this opens a larger conversation around this, is the concept of content management systems as a whole. And those tend, again, to be sort of on-premise products. And I'm thinking about the Ektrons and the Sitecores of the world. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of different products for, for different specific sets of requirements. Mm-hmm. And, and SharePoint's gonna, gonna meet the, the common denominator level. Um, and, and then some, I would say. Um, but certainly there's, there's, there's room for a lot of different, uh, software packages and services. For, for document management, content management. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some uh, seem like a good cloud products and some aren't. But I guess it depends on how you want to run things. But certainly, you know, I wrestle with why would you run SharePoint internally now if you can actually get it out in the cloud and get a fixed per month cost around it. Well, the main reason that I can think of as the security guy is, you know, control over the stuff that's stored there. That's... That's the main part. Let's uh, let's not let the security thing go here, Greg, because I think this is a, a generally 
fairly potent discussion and one I think that's often unfairly used to veto off-site stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it could either be fairly or unfairly used to veto it, right? Um, I, when it comes to securing the information, do you have service level agreements or do you have guarantees in the in the way that you write your contracts that are geared around security? What What are you doing? Well, we will certainly take security very seriously, and, and we you know do background checks on all employees, and we have a lot of uh, physical and logical security built into our infrastructure. Um, you know, our, our customers, you know, also want to make sure that that their data is is safe and secured. Uh, you know, there's while there's no such thing as as perfect security, we we try to come as close as possible to that. Um, and as a small operation, it's it's easier actually for us in this in this regard because. Um, you know, with the less with less complexity, um, we can make sure that that you know, everything is 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 secured, and we can do do checks on everything um, more readily than you can with a larger uh, with larger infrastructures. Um, but as far as what's in the SLA, um, you know, just the basics of that we're going we're going to keep your data secure to the to the best of our abilities. I see you've got a SAS seventy Type One certification. Uh, tell me about what that actually means. What did you do to get that? Uh, well, we contracted with uh, a uh, an outfit that does these types of audits, and uh, they looked through our infrastructure and processes, uh, and developed the uh, the list of key processes and the controls uh, that are in place for each of those um, processes, and and uh, the, the actual objectives uh, um, uh, to ensure uh, the ability to keep operating. Mm-hmm. So you have the you have the, uh, uh, the those objectives, and then you have the different controls that are in place. And then they um, took a look at at, at our actual um, processes and procedures and verified that they indeed were able to. Um, guarantee those objectives uh, would be satisfied. Does that mean you actually have to do a failover of some kind and demonstrate a disaster recovery process? Nope. Not not for SAS 70. Okay. <laughs> um, didn't, don't more actually like, have to do that. Uh, <clears throat> do you have a program in place and is it sufficient to meet your business requirement type needs? Is that a data exactly. center specific for SAS 70, right? Yeah. They, they look over our shoulder as, as we go through the, the infrastructure and, and they, they see what we have in place for the different uh, um, applications and utilities that that we use right. to to ensure these 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 key objectives are met. <clears throat> really, that could be a whole show in and of itself. What are the different SAS seventy certifications and the mm-hmm. different levels, and what do they mean, and what do they mean, and what do they not mean? Right, they're not a silver bullet. They don't necessarily mean that you've got everything you need, but they but they do have some some meaningful value. For businesses that are providing hosted services, absolutely, and and the uh, you know the type one uh, looks at a point in time, and then the type two looks it looks over a period of time. So we're we're going to be right. getting the type two um, toward the end of this year. We're going to be getting the the type two audit performed. What does it do for your customers per se? Do they just glad to see that it's like a checkbox item? I think that for some of them it's a checkbox item. For others, uh, they actually are are you know required to gather information from us for their Sarbanes Oxley. Requirements, right? Socks so is we can, still out yeah, there. Absolutely, and yep. so we can provide the SAS seventy report, which takes care of a lot of 
the kinds of questions that they're going to be asking us. Um, and so that makes their, their jobs easier. Does this almost turn that security discussion on its head that in theory putting data with you is more secure than I would have kept it in house? We, well, uh, not necessarily. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just, you know what? All I'm doing is throwing meat into the pit, my friends, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've certainly dealt with this ta- talking to companies about cloud where they think, oh my God, cloud is so avant garde. I was like, guys, have you seen how you're handling your email servers? Like, your email's going to be better if we migrate. Well, let's not even make assumptions even as low level as like maybe Sarbanes-Oxley actually accomplishes what it set out to do, well, right? Yeah, but that, that's a given. <laughs> I think Congress was involved. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah, on the U.S. Congress. So I, I think that, you know, <clears throat> wow, is data generally more secure on-premise than off? That That is a question that with the answer to which will vary just as much as the organizations that are managing the data. Cause the fact of the matter is there are small organizations that have terrific security and compliance programs. And by the way, those aren't the same thing. And there are huge organizations that have absolutely craptastic security and compliance <laughs> concerns. And, and it's, it has nothing to do with size of organization. It really has to do with quality and investment. In my experience, I, I don't know what the guest thinks, but, um, have you seen, have you had any organizations, maybe this is the question, have you had any businesses or organizations that have based their decision to host their services with you all or in part because they felt like you could provide a better level of security or a higher level of compliance uh, requirements, meeting compliance requirements? I, I think, uh, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think smaller organizations may may find that to be the case, but but I don't think that would be as much of a factor for for larger organizations, but you're right. It, it all depends on uh, on the organization itself. You can have small organizations that are very security conscious, and large organizations that are that are not. It all depends what people are focusing on on a day to day basis. Um, and so, you know, we we've got certainly a, a quite a bit of, of commitment and focus in, in security, and we've got uh, you know, standard security policies that we that we agree to and, and enforce and follow. Right. So it's you know we we try to make that something that's that's uh, going to be uh, reasonable for for customer organizations. And from your perspective, is there um, are, are there certain things from a security uh, direction that you are able to provide that tend to be selling points for you? For example, I mean, if you if you're doing the convincing, right? I mean, you have to people don't buy stuff without being convinced, and it's a service to buy. So, uh, are there? Have you found that there are certain points that tend to resonate well with businesses that you're talking to? I mean, the, the security stuff we're doing, it, it, it's not esoteric, though. I mean, it, it's it's pretty standard. You know, you have firewalls, you have you have, uh, you have passwords, you have uh, comp, uh, complex passwords, you have, um, um, you know, uh, requirements to change passwords, you have uh, monitoring of, of of intrusions and and uh, system accesses. Um, right. So it's 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 pretty standard stuff i don't see it uh being something where we're able to differentiate a lot except for the fact that you know we're we're very serious about it and not you know not going to let anything uh get get past us um sure but from a security perspective i i think you know you know as far as actual add-ons that people are looking for encrypted email is is something people are interested in we can and we can work with uh, third-party providers of encrypted email um you know as as needed uh, for for our customers, 
I think you could say the same thing along the lines of disaster recovery as well. You know, most businesses, that is not their primary business. And IT folks getting cycles just to do full DR testing is hard to come by. Yep. So to to say, hey, here's an organization, a service provider out there, this is their business. And uh, they will do the testing. They'll give you the reports that show, yes, we can fail your your systems over from here to here properly. You just pay us a fee every month to do it. That's pretty compelling. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we we have uh, disaster recovery plans in place, and we and we uh, uh, do go through uh, practices of those plans on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And and lots of organizations don't. Like it's, True. it's, True. Uh, it takes cycles to do those things. And most of the time, just getting the stuff set up was as much as you could do. Actually trying it, that's way too scary. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Still, you know, I mean, I'm glad to talk to you, Jeff, just because you seem like you're one of the small providers that's surviving in a space where it looks, you know, it feels like the Googles and the Amazons, the Microsofts are going to crush you all like bugs. <laughs> Some days it looks like that. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I, but it's good to tell me you're thriving. You know that, that there's a group of customers out there that really value what you do, and that that you know that makes sense to look at small providers around these things. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we're we're doing very well. Um, you know, like I've said, our focus is not on growth at any cost, but instead on on really providing a quality service to our customers. So, uh, you know, uh, right now we're we're looking to grow a little bit more quickly, but. Um, you know, we've retained our, our, our customer organizations at a very high rate. We, every year we do a customer satisfaction survey and we typically have about a 93% net satisfaction rating, um, you know, using an independent, uh, survey provider. So we think we're doing a, a good job. It seems like our customers think so too. Um, and, uh, I, I do believe there is room for a variety of, uh, uh, cloud-based providers out there. It doesn't all have to be Microsoft and Google and Amazon. Right. And the reason is we can provide more flexibility, more support, and um, I still will maintain over the long term, we should have a, a better uh, availability rate than these these megaplex systems with, with millions and millions of moving parts. Yeah, now you see, you're, you're just goading me now. I'm going to have to keep, start doing record keeping and start seeing if we actually get better numbers there. All right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Jeff Cetron, so nice to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Run Ass. Great. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate the opportunity. And we'll Thanks. talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.